Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot, episode titled Lord Edgeware Dies, where Lord Edgeware is found brutally stabbed with his wife, the prime suspect. But did she murder him? So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and Simon Williams as Captain Hastings in Agatha Christie's Lord Edgware Dies. any longer. I killed him and I enjoyed watching the brute die. You don't know him as I did. He wasn't fit to live. You may call me a murderess, but I did mankind a service by ridding the world of him. Hang me if you will, but don't ask me to repent. The day I killed him was the most magnificent day of my life. Oh, didn't I tell you she was amazing, Poirot? Quite uncanny. The voice, the face, the whole Jane Wilkinson manner to a T. The way she threw back her hair at the end, just the way Jane did it in Dark Horizons. Miss Adams is a quite remarkable performer, I agree. (laughs) And to think you didn't want to come because it was your evening for trimming your moustaches. It was worth the sacrifice. Thank you, Hastings. It wasn't easy getting a table, I can tell you. This is her last night. Her impersonation of Jane Wilkinson was astonishingly convincing, certainly, but so were her garble and her Lady Astor. Tell me, is there a real Carlotta Adams beneath all this? She's supposed to be a very sweet, modest, ordinary girl, as far as I know. But do you really think impersonation is the right word, Poirot? She literally becomes all these people with practically nothing in the way of makeup. When she was doing Dark Horizons, it might have been Jane Wilkinson herself. Not quite, my friend. What do you mean? Look over there. Is not that Jane Wilkinson herself? Good Lord, so it is. <laughs> and uh, the man with her, who has the features of a Greek god. Well, you must know who that is, Poirot. It's Brian Martin. He was her leading man in Forbidden Desires. But I thought that Jane Wilkinson gave up acting when she married Lord Edgware. She did, but now she's given up Lord Edgware and gone back to acting. The marriage can't have lasted more than two years, and now she's returning to the West End Theatre. A good thing, if you ask me, she's a magnificent actress. Perhaps. What do you mean, perhaps? If she is the centre of the play, if the play is written for her and about her, then she can be, as you say, magnificent. But she can only play herself. She is interested only in herself. Such women go through life in great danger. Danger? Yes, Hastings, danger. Because, you see, a woman like that sees only one thing, herself and her own forward path. And so, sooner or later, disaster. 
Well, she seems to be uncommonly interested in you. She hasn't taken her eyes off you for the last couple of minutes. It must be the moustaches. <laughs> I do believe she's coming over to speak to us. And I do not think that Monsieur Martin is altogether keen on the idea. I believe you are Monsieur Hercule Poirot, am I right? At your service, madame. Monsieur Poirot, I must talk to you. Oh, by all means, madame. Pray, sit down with us. Uh, no, no. I must speak to you privately. I'm sure that Jules can find us a quiet room somewhere where we won't be disturbed. Jane, you can't just whisk Monsieur Poirot off like this. Don't tell me what I can and cannot do, Brian. Just go back to your table and watch the rest of the show. Monsieur Poirot and I are going to have a little talk, aren't we? Of course, madame. Uh, you permit that my friend Captain Hastings comes with us? Thank you, Jules. So discreet as always. And a bottle of my favourite champagne. You think of everything. Well, that be all, madame? Quite perfect, thank you. It is so good of you to spare me your time like this, Monsieur Poirot. Tell me, in what way can I be of service to you? Monsieur Poirot, somehow or other, I've just got to get rid of my husband. Oh, but, madame, getting rid of husbands is not my speciality. Of course, I know that. I do not make investigations for divorce. It is not pretty, Sir My dear Monsieur Poirot, I'm not asking you to spy at keyholes or talk to chambermaids. I have just got to get rid of the man, and I'm sure you can tell me how to do it. First, tell me, madame, why you are so anxious to get rid of Lord Etchware. I want to get married again. What other reason could there be? But surely he'd give you a divorce. You don't know my husband, Captain Hastings. He's... I don't know how to put this. He's not like other people. In what way is he not like other people? He should never have married anyone. He's obsessed with cruelty. Oh. His first wife ran away from him, leaving her little baby behind her. He never divorced her, and she died miserably abroad somewhere. And then he married me. I simply couldn't stand it. He frightened me. He's a monster. I left him and went off to Hollywood. I've no grounds for divorce, and if I'd given him grounds, he won't take any notice of them. He's a very strange man. And who is the man you wish to marry? The Duke of Merton. Good Lord. The whole thing is so wonderfully romantic. He's quite unlike anyone I've ever met. But isn't he a committed Anglo-Catholic? And Merton Castle is something out of a fairy tale. But would he still want you to continue... Oh, uh, Captain Hastings, the first thing I shall do when we marry is give up the stake. And in the meantime, Lord Edgware stands in the way of all these romantic dreams. Yes, it's driving me to distraction. So what do you want me to do? After all, every man has the right to live. Oh, I don't want you to kill him for me. Oh, <laughs> I can't tell you how relieved I am, madame. I thought you might somehow be able to talk him round to the idea of a divorce. I'm sure you could. I think you rather overestimate my persuasive powers. Oh, but surely you can think of something. You'd like me to be happy, wouldn't you? I should like everyone to be happy. Yes, but I wasn't thinking of everyone. I was thinking of me. Mm. You will help me, won't you? I can't tell you... <sighs> Pardon me, madame. Yes, Jules, what is it? Mr. Martin would like to have a word. How delightfully formal. Ask him to come in. I know you didn't want to be disturbed, Jane, but... Uh... I've said what I wish to say to Monsieur Poirot. 
I thought that you'd like to know that I've succeeded in the commission you gave me. Have you indeed? That's wonderful. I'll just fix my face and join you. In the meantime, Monsieur Poirot can think about my proposal. Well, Monsieur Poirot, has our Jane persuaded you to fight her battles? You might as well give in sooner rather than later. She doesn't understand the word no. She has not uh, come across it, perhaps. A very interesting character, Jane. Taboos have no meaning for her. No morals, whatever. Oh, I don't mean she's exactly immoral. She isn't. Amoral is the word, I believe. She sees only one thing in life. What Jane wants. She certainly seems very determined. I believe she'd kill somebody quite cheerfully. And feel injured if they caught her and wanted to hang her for it. The trouble is that she would be caught. She hasn't any brains. Her idea of a murder would be to drive up in a taxi, sail in under her own name and shoot. I wonder what makes you say that. But we'd better get back to our table. I wouldn't miss this particular confrontation for the world. I thought I just had to know you, Miss Adams. It was an utterly fantastic performance. You're very kind, Lady Edgeware. If I'd known you were there tonight, I think I'd have died of fright. I don't know when I enjoyed anything so much as I did your show tonight. That's very sweet of you. Oh, I do appreciate you telling me so. <laughs> You'll join us for supper, won't you? And you as well, Monsieur Parole. Captain Hastings. Oh, I'd love to. Oh, forgive me, Lady Edgeware, but it is uh, long past my bedtime. But you'll do as I asked. I will do what I can. You've got to persuade him. For my sake. If you don't. What will happen if I don't? I'll just have to take a taxi and go round and bump him off myself. Um, marmalade? Hmm? Oh, Hastings, you know I never take marmalade. What are you thinking of? I was simply trying to get your attention. What is that letter? See for yourself. Hmm. Ah, an appointment with Lord Edgware at Regent Gate tomorrow morning. You are surprised? Well, I... You thought perhaps it was Lady Edgware's champagne that I promised what I would not perform? My friend, the promises of Hercule Poirot are sacred. But you surely can't let yourself be influenced by... I am not in the habit of letting myself be influenced by anyone. I am interested, that's all. Huh. Interested in the prospect of Jane Wilkinson's marrying the Duke of Merton? Oh, no, that is a very commonplace business, Hastings. A step in the career of a very beautiful and ambitious woman. No, it is the interplay of characters that interests me. Hmm. I welcome the chance of studying Lord Edgware at close quarters. Come in. There's a gentleman downstairs who wishes to speak to you. A gentleman? It's Brian Martin, Mr. Poirot. Ah, then be so good as to show him up. Yes, Mr. Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> Starstruck is the phrase, I think. I would never have believed it of her. So, now we know where she goes on her afternoons off. <laughs> Mr. Martin, sir. Ah, come in, Monsieur Martin. Thank you. Uh, please take a seat. Thank you. You know Captain Hastings, of course. Of course. Hello. Hello. Good morning. So, what can I do for you? I presume this is a professional visit? Oh, yes, it is. I was wondering whether you might have the time to undertake something for me. Well, that would depend. You have a problem? I'm not quite certain. Huh? The trouble is that I can't tell you as much as I'd like to. What can you tell us? 
It's difficult. You see, the whole thing started in America. Uh, what started in America? It was like this. I was travelling in a train to New York, and there was this fellow. Ugly little chap, clean-shaven, glasses, and a gold tooth. A gold tooth? Oh, that is interesting. I just noticed him. And then, six months later, I was in Los Angeles, and there he was again, in my hotel lobby. Nothing in that, I suppose. But strange, nevertheless. A month afterwards, I had occasion to go to Seattle, and crossing the street, who should I see but my friend again? Only this time he was wearing a beard. A beard? Huh. And then I saw him in a streetcar in Chicago, but this time with a moustache and different eyebrows. Huh? I'm, I'm positive it was the same chap. Uh, you suspected you were being shadowed? I thought they must have put someone on my tail. Hmm. Tell me, Mr Martin, who are they? <sighs> That's the difficulty. I... I think it's all bound up with something that happened in London about two years ago, but I can't tell you about it. Not now, you see. And why not? There's a girl concerned in it. Ah, mm -hmm. I understand. And I would have to get her permission. Then why have you come to me before going to her? Well, I thought if I could tell her that you were interested in the case, then she might... Of be... course, of course, I understand. Rather a curious affair the other night, wasn't it? Oh, I thought Carlotta Adams was quite delightful. Pretty brave of her to venture into the tigress's den. I was afraid Jane might try to scratch her eyes out. Oh, unfortunately, I got rather taken over by Carlotta's escort. He was the most frightful bore. I think he had a glass or two too much of champagne. He kept on telling me that I reminded him of an old friend of his called um, Spencer Jones. Oh, that was Ronnie Marsh, Edgware's nephew. Um, rather a bad hat insists on calling Jane Aunt Jane, which doesn't go down very well, as you can imagine. Hmm. Mind you, Jane must be the most high-handed woman that ever walked the face of the earth. One will stand a great deal from a beautiful woman. You must know her quite well, Mr Martin, I suppose. I mean, you've acted with her often enough. Yes, I suppose I know her through and through. I can see her killing quite easily. She has the hot temper? Oh, not at all. She's as cool as a cucumber. I mean, if anyone were in her way, she'd just remove them, without a thought. She'd reckon that anyone who interfered with Jane Wilkinson would have to go. You think she would commit murder? You know, I really do. She'd kill as easily as she'd drink her morning tea. I mean it. I can see that you do. I've taken up enough of your time, Monsieur Poirot. Do you think there's a chance of your undertaking this little business of mine? If the lady agrees, that is. Yes, I will undertake it. It interests me. That's extremely kind of you. I knew that I could rely on you. Oh, don't worry. I can find my own way out. Uh, goodbye, Mr. Martin. Goodbye, Captain Hastings. Well, what on earth is all that about? <laughs> you do not see... Well, he gave us so little to go on. On the contrary, he told us everything. Do not certain ideas suggest themselves to you? Um. Poirot? Of course. I see. This morning? Yes, that would be possible. Yes. We will be there at a uh, quarter past twelve. We will be where? 
at Lord Edgeware's house at Regent Gate. He has to go to Paris on business tomorrow, but he could see us for a few minutes this morning. Oh. We had better leave straight away. If you would care to wait in the study, gentlemen, I will tell his lordship you are here. Thank you. I'm sure there will be a few moments. Ah, mon Dieu, Hastings, what kind of butler is this? He has the face of an Apollo. Well, he bears an uncanny resemblance to Brian Martin, don't you think? You are right. It struck me at once. Hmm. What a curious collection of books. If books are the key to a man's soul, Lord Edgware must possess a very strange soul indeed. Poirot, uh, who's coming? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you for agreeing to see us so promptly, Lord Edgware. I am familiar, of course, with your name, Monsieur Poirot, who is not. But I cannot quite understand your position in this matter. I understand that you wish to see me on behalf of my wife. That is so. I understood you were an investigator of crime, Monsieur Poirot. Not only of crime, Lord Edgware. There are other problems. Indeed. And what may this one be? Lady Edgware, as you know, desires a divorce. I'm quite aware of that. Her suggestion was that you and I should discuss the matter. There is nothing to discuss. You refuse to countenance a divorce? Certainly not. She knows that perfectly well. I wrote and told her so six months ago. What? You wrote to her? But I understood you were opposed to the principle of divorce. I do not see that my principles are your concern, Monsieur Poirot. It is true that I refused to divorce my first wife. My conscience would not allow me to do so. My second marriage, I will admit frankly, was a mistake. When she suggested a divorce, I refused point blank. Six months ago, she wrote to me again. I suspect there was somebody she wished to marry, a film actor or something of the sort. My views had, by this time, undergone modification. I wrote to her at Hollywood, telling her so... Why she has sent you to me, I cannot imagine. Hmm. There is something here I do not understand at all. If it is a question of money, I have no intention of making a financial arrangement. If she wishes to marry another man, I can set her free to do so. But there is no reason why she should receive a penny from me, and she will not do so. There is no question of any financial arrangement. Oh, she must be marrying a rich man. I still do not understand. May I ask you what special circumstance brought about your change of mind over the divorce, Lord Edgeware? Well, that surely is my own business, Monsieur Poirot. I don't see why I should discuss it with you. Shall we say that gradually I perceive the advantage of severing what I considered, you will forgive my plain speaking, a degrading association. My second marriage was, as I have said, a mistake. Your wife says the same. Does she? Well, if that is all, gentlemen, I must make preparations for my journey to Paris tomorrow. Of course. Of course. They are selling the Mistyvale collection, and there is one statuette I particularly wish to acquire. Love chastised by death. A particularly macabre subject. <laughs> my butler will show you out. Very nasty piece of work, the fourth Baron Edgeware. Did you see the way he looked at us as we left? No, mon ami, I did not. Insane with rage, like something out of Dante's Inferno. I fancy he is very near the border of madness. I should imagine that he practices many curious vices. No wonder his wives left him. As you say. Did you notice the girl as we came out who was standing in the doorway in the hall? A dark girl with a very pale face. Yes, I saw her. She looked very frightened and unhappy. Who do you suppose she was? I imagine she must be his daughter by his first wife. 
That house must be a gloomy place for a young girl. Uh, I wonder how she stands Oh, up. indeed, mon ami. So, what's the next step? I do not know, Hastings. For once in my life, I simply cannot understand what is behind all this. We had better tell her ladyship the good news. I wonder how she will take it. But that's impossible. He can't have written to me. That is what he says, madame. I have no reason to doubt that he is telling the truth. Where did he say he wrote to? Hollywood, or so he says. It must have gone astray. I never got it. And to think it's been driving me crazy all these months. You didn't tell him anything about the Duke of Merton? Not a word, madame. He wouldn't be so willing to give me a divorce if he knew about Merton. I must say, though, I can't imagine what could have made him change his mind. It uh, puzzles you? Oh, it does. But what does it matter as long as he's changed it? I'm free! Not yet, madame. Well, going to be free. Merton's in Paris. I must ring him and tell him. His mother will be furious. Oh, I am glad that everything is working out for you, madame. Monsieur Poirot, I can't tell you how grateful I am. I did nothing. You brought me the good news. That's what counts. Now, Hastings, it is time to employ the, the little, little grey cells. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, there are four possible explanations, but not one of them is satisfactory. Four. First, it was lost in the post, but that is unlikely. And if it had been incorrectly addressed, it would have been returned to Lord Edgware by now. The second possibility is that our beautiful lady is lying when she says that she never received it. But I cannot see how that could be to her advantage. If she knows he will divorce her, why send me to ask him to do so? It does not make sense. And the next explanation? Lord Edgware is lying. But I do not see any point in such a lie. Why invent a fictitious letter? That does not make sense either. And the fourth explanation is that someone must have suppressed the letter. Exactly so, Hastings. And that is the only possible explanation. Someone did not want that marriage dissolved. Oh, I would give a great deal to know what is behind this affair. There is something, something of which as yet I have been able only to catch a glimpse. Oh, I'm sorry to disturb you, Mr Poirot, but Inspector Japs on his way up. He says he's particularly anxious to speak to you. Then please show him in. Oh, and uh, inquire whether he would uh, like coffee or tea. Or would he like breakfast? I'll ask him. I suppose he wants to pick your brains as usual. And what harm is there in that? Because he always tries to pretend he's doing nothing of the sort. And is that so very dreadful? He has to safeguard his amour propre. It is very natural. Inspector Jack. Ah, come in and take a seat, my good oh, fellow. Still oh. your breakfast, I see. Not got the hens to lay square eggs for you, Monsieur Poirot? <laughs> your tea, Inspector. Oh, thank you very much, Mrs. Sir. And what brings you to see us so early? It's not early for me, Monsieur Poirot. I've been up and at work for a good two hours. That's what brings me... It's murder. Murder? Lord Edgware was killed at his house in Regent Gate last night. Heavens above. Stabbed in the neck by his wife. By his wife? You've heard of her, I'm sure. 
Jane Wilkinson, the actress. What makes you believe it was she who killed him? I don't have to believe anything. She drove up to the house in a taxi, rang the bell and asked for Lord Edgware. It was ten o'clock. The butler said he'd see if Lord Edgware was at home. Oh, she says, cool as a cucumber. You needn't do that. I am Lady Edgware. I suppose he's in his study. And she goes into the study and shuts the door behind her. And the butler made no attempt to prevent her? He thought it was queer, but what was he to do? About ten minutes later, he heard the front door shut. Hmm? He locked up for the night about eleven. He says he opened the study door, but it was dark, so he thought his master had gone to bed. This morning, a housemaid goes in and finds the body. Stabbed in the neck, he was, just at the roots of his hair. If you hit on exactly the right spot, it kills a man instantly. But surely that implies a professional knowledge. Mm, I suppose that's true. But ten to one, she just struck lucky. <laughs> uh, some people have amazing luck, you know. Not if it results in being hanged. Of course, the woman was a fool, sailing in like that and giving her name and all. It was indeed very curious. Possibly she didn't intend mischief. They quarrelled, and she whipped out a penknife and jabbed him one. A penknife? He was killed with a penknife? Something of the kind, the doctor says. Whatever it was, she took it away with her. It wasn't left in the wound. No, 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 my friend. It could not have been like that. I know the lady. She would be quite incapable of such a hot-blooded, impulsive action. Besides, she would be most unlikely to have a penknife with her. Few women have. And assuredly not Jen Wilkinson. You know her, Moucha Poirot. Yes, I know her. So, what has brought you to me, Inspector? It is not merely to pass the time of day with an old comrade. <laughs> assuredly not. You have here a nice, straightforward murder. You have the criminal... You have the motive. Ah, what exactly is the motive, by the way? It seems she wanted to marry another man. She was heard to say so not a week ago. She was also heard to make threats, said she meant to call round in a taxi and bump him off. Ah, you are very well informed, my good chap. <laughs> Someone has evidently been very obliging. We get to hear things, Monsieur Poirot. But you still have not answered my question. Since all goes on in the swimming fashion, why come to me? Because I heard you were at Regent Gate yesterday morning. I see. Now, as soon as I heard that, I said to myself, why should his lordship send for Moucha Poirot? Why? What did he suspect? What did he fear? Before doing anything definite, I'd better go round and have a word with him. And what do you mean by anything definite? Arresting the lady, I suppose. Oh, exactly. You have not seen her yet? Oh, yes, I have. Went round to the Savoy first thing. Wasn't going to risk her giving us the slip. And what did she say? I gave her the usual stuff, of course, about wanting a statement and cautioning her. You can't say the English police aren't fair. In my opinion, foolishly so. About what did Milady say? She had hysterics. That's what she did. What next? She did her coming-to act. Moaned and groaned and carried on, and that sour-faced maid of hers doped her with smelling salts and stuff. And at last she recovered enough to ask for her solicitor. Hysterics one moment, solicitor the next. Now I ask you, is that... Natural behaviour. In this case, quite natural, I should say. You mean because she's guilty and knows it? Not at all. I mean because of her temperament. First, she gives you her conception of how the part of a wife suddenly learning of her husband's death should be played. Then, having satisfied her histrionic instinct, her native shrewdness makes her send for a solicitor. That she creates an artificial scene and enjoys it is no proof of her guilt. It merely indicates 
that she is a born actress. Well, she's guilty. That's for sure. Uh, you are very positive. I suppose it must be so. She made no statement, you say? No statement at all? Wouldn't say a word without a solicitor. The maid telephoned for him. I left two of my men there and came along to you. And you're sure she did it? Of course I'm sure. But I like as many facts as possible. You see, there's going to be a big splash made about this. All the papers will be full of it. And you know what papers are. Hmm. Uh, talking of papers, have you read them this morning? Glance at them. There didn't seem to be much going on. Then I think you'd better take a look at this, my good chap. Um, here, in the society column... Sir Montague Corner gave a very distinguished dinner party last night at his house by the river in Chiswick. Among those gracing his table were Sir George and Lady Defuse, Sir Oscar Hammer fell to Overton Film Studios, and drama critic Mr James Blout, and Miss... Miss Jane Wilkinson, Lady Edgware. But that's just not possible! Very curious, is it not, Inspector? I could, Monsieur Poirot. What a terrible business, though I can't say I'm surprised. You remember what I said about her yesterday? I remember perfectly. That is why I asked you to come. I thought it might interest Inspector Jap, who is in charge of the case. It certainly does. Oh, good Lord, you should have warned me. Oh, it's all right, Mr. Martin. You're not on oath. <sighs> so, she's really done it at last. I did not say so. But you said that Edgware had been murdered. And the moment I tell you that, you jump to the conclusion that it is she who has murdered him. But didn't she? You mean to say she had nothing to do with it? Oh, no, Mr. Martin. She did it right enough. So I'd be grateful if you'd tell me what you know. Uh, Jane isn't really responsible for her actions. She has no sense of right and wrong. That will be for the jury to decide. Have you ever heard her utter threats against her husband? Oh, yes. Several times. What did she say? She said that if he didn't give her her freedom, she'd have to bump him off. <laughs> that was the way she put it. Why was she so desperate to be free of Lord Edgware? She wanted to marry another man. Any idea who? Oh, yes. It was the Duke of Merton. <laughs> she doesn't do things by halves, does she? He must be one of the richest men in England. But Edgware wouldn't give her a divorce? No, he wouldn't hear of it. I'm afraid that you are wrong, my dear young man. Hmm? I saw Lord Edgware yesterday, and he agreed to a divorce. He agreed? That is what I said. But why didn't you tell Jane? You might have prevented a terrible tragedy. Oh, but I did tell her. It rather impairs the motive, does it not? And there is something else that you should know. According to this morning's paper, at the time of the murder, she was dining with Sir Montague Corner at his house in Chiswick. Oh, they generally print those things in advance. That won't help her. Jane didn't go to that dinner. How do you know, Mr. Martin? Someone told me. I forget who it was. Ah. 
But you would surely agree that the case against Jane Wilkinson revolts the intelligence. It doesn't revolt mine. Here is a lady who wishes to get rid of her husband, so how does she go about it? She tells everybody that she is thinking of killing him. She then goes round to his house, tells the battle who she is, stabs her husband and goes away. What do you call that? It was a bit foolish, I admit. Foolish? It is imbecile. Well, if criminals lose their heads and make it easy for us, I'm not going to complain. I must go to the Savoy. My men are holding Lady Edgeware there. Uh, May Hastings and I come with you? I've never been able to prevent you before. Monsieur Poirot, Captain Hastings, how good of you both to come along. Tell me, Captain, what do you think? Um, what do I think? Of the hat. Ah. No, I can see you don't like it. Let's try another one, Ellis. This one, madam. No, I hate black. I never wear it. Let's try that one. I'm so glad you're both here. The police seem to think that somehow or other I bumped off George while I was having dinner with Monty Corner. Idiotic, isn't it? Could you tell us exactly what did happen last night, Lady Edgeware? The dinner was at 8.30. I dropped in at the Piccadilly Palace to say goodbye to a friend of mine who was leaving for the States. Uh, Mrs. Van Dusen. Mrs. Van Dusen. No, Ellis, this one is a disaster. I must have got to Monty's at around nine. And what time did you leave? About half past eleven. You came straight back here? Yes. And you didn't leave the dinner party at any time? Well, as it happens... (sighs) You did leave it. There was a telephone call while I was at dinner. Who called you? I haven't the faintest idea. I presume it was some sort of hoax. Someone said, is that Lady Edgeware? And I said, that's right. And whoever it was laughed and rang off. And how long were you away from the dinner table? About a minute and a half. Hardly time for me to drive all the way across London and bump off George. Why don't you ring up Monty? He'll confirm what I say. That's exactly what I intend to do. This very moment, Lady Edgeware. What a stupid oaf. It's just as well I changed my mind about that party. How do you mean, madame, you changed your mind? I had the most frightful headache yesterday afternoon. I thought I'd give it a miss. And did you say so to anyone? I expect I did. There was quite a crowd of us having tea. And what made you change your mind? Ellis did. Didn't you, Ellis? I said that Sir Montague was too influential a person to turn down. He's in a position to pull a lot of financial strings where her ladyship is concerned. Of course, when I marry Merton, I'll be through with all that sort of thing. Nevertheless, I think you should be very grateful to Ellis. (laughs) Oh, I am, I am. God knows where I'd be if I hadn't gone. Unless 14 people are lying, she didn't do it. Wouldn't you say that was moderately conclusive? I thought it was going to be some kind of put-up job. Who else would want to kill Edgeware? She's the only person who's got the ghost of a motive. A ghost that has been laid, Inspector. I thought the people she'd get to confirm her alibi would be the usual theatrical crowd. And you know what value I'd put on that. But the people at that dinner party were all pretty big guns. None of them close friends of hers. They say she was there all the time, and they all confirmed the business of the telephone call to the letter. Mm. Was it a man or a woman who rang? A woman, I think, she said. And what about her getting back to the Savoy? Again, it's exactly as she said. Uh, Do we know who comes into the title? A nephew, Captain Marsh. A bit of a black sheep, by all accounts. And Edgeworth's daughter obviously stands to benefit. And has the doctor arrived at a precise time for the death? 
We'll have to wait for the autopsy. But around ten o'clock seems reasonable. Edgware was last seen alive just after nine when he left the dinner table and the butler took him whiskey and soda into the study. At eleven o'clock, when the butler went up to bed, the study light was out, so he presumed he was in bed. He wouldn't have been sitting in the dark. But if it wasn't Lady Edgware who came to the house that night, who the devil was it? And why should the butler and the secretary be so certain it was her? That's precisely what I cannot understand. The butler positively identified her. Admittedly, he's only been there for six months. But the secretary's been in Edgware's service for six years or more. It is indeed very curious. I'm going to Regent Gate now to have a word with them. Would you care to come with me, gentlemen? I'd take my oath it was Lady Edgware, sir. What makes you so certain? She told me her name. And besides, I've seen her picture in the papers. And I've seen her on the stage. And in the cinema. Can you tell us how she was dressed? In black, sir. Black walking dress and a small black hat. A string of pearls and grey gloves. Black? A colour she never wore. Well done, Hastings. <laughs> now, how was the lady at Chiswick dressed, Inspector? White taffeta evening dress and ermine wrap. Hmm. Tell me, how was the front door fastened? Oh, it's a Yale lock. I usually draw the bolts when I go to bed at eleven. But last night, Miss Geraldine had gone to the opera, so I left it unbolted. And how was it this morning when you came down? It was bolted, sir. I heard Miss Geraldine come in at about one o'clock. So the door could not be opened without a key. How many keys were there? I'm not certain, sir. There was his lordship's, of course, and there was a key in the hall drawer, which Miss Geraldine took with her last night. I think that'll be all for the present. Uh, can you tell the secretary, uh, what's her name? Miss Carroll, sir. Could you tell Miss Carroll we'd like to have a word with her? Of course I'm sure it was her. I saw her. Where were you, mademoiselle? On the stairs, looking down. And you are positive you are not mistaken? Absolutely certain. Her features are quite unmistakable, and it was her voice. According to the butler, there were two keys to the front door, Lord Edgware's and a key that was kept in the hall drawer. Were there any others? I don't have one. I always ring when I come. But there was another key that belonged to Captain Marsh. Did Captain Marsh come to the house very often? Not for the last three years. And why was that? I believe he'd quarrelled with his uncle. Can you tell us what about? I don't listen to gossip, Inspector. We are investigating a murder, Miss Carroll. Captain Marsh was careless with money. I believe he'd got into debt. And uh, there was some other trouble. I, I don't know exactly what. Whatever it was, Lord Edgware forbade the captain the house. That's all I know. Thank you, Miss Carroll. If you finished with me, I would like to go downstairs to the study. We'll follow you down, Miss Carroll. I'd like to show Mushaparo the scene of the crime. Hastings, a little minute. I will go down with the inspector. Watch until we have gone into the study and then join us there. Hmm. Whatever you say. As I told you, there's nothing very much in the way of clues. Not the kind you find in detective stories. No footprints, no ladies' gloves, no traces of lingering perfume. <laughs> Real life is not very obliging. <laughs> I did what you asked, Poirot. Ah, and what did you see? Um, what was I supposed to see? Did you notice, for instance, the rose I was carrying between my teeth? <laughs> <laughs> You'll be the death of me, Poirot. Are you thinking of going on as Carmen at Covent Garden? 
<laughs> you didn't notice it, Hastings? Um, no, I couldn't see your face from where I was standing. Ah. Miss Carroll? Uh, yeah, yes, what is it? You said you were standing on the stairs when you saw Lady Edgeworth go along the hall to the study. Yes, that's right. And you saw her face distinctly. Well, that's what I said. But you could not have seen her face from where you were standing. Well, what does it matter? I heard her voice. I saw her walk down the hall. Of course it was Lady Edgware. She's got a point, you know, Poirot. She heard her voice. She recognised the way she walked. Two of the most characteristic things about a person. Exactly so, Hastings. And therefore they are the most easily counterfeited. Do you recollect that only a few nights ago we were watching... Carlotta Adams impersonating Jane Wilkinson. Mm. Surely that would be too much of a coincidence. Well, that depends how you look at it, my friend. Regarded from a different angle, it would be no coincidence at all. Oh, you're letting your imagination run away with you. Mm. Why on earth should Carlotta Adams want to kill Lord Edgware? She didn't even know him. How do you know that? Ah, but that was not what I was thinking. Let us put a few facts together. Come. We will sit upon uh, that bench... Hmm. Now, Lady Edgware talks openly of killing her husband. Brian Martin was there when she said it. So was Carlotta Adams. For sure, patience, my friend. On the same evening, everyone is talking of Carlotta Adams' impersonation of Lady Edgware. Now, supposing someone other than his wife has a reason to get rid of Lord Edgware... On the day of the murder, Jane announces that she has a headache and is going to have a quiet evening alone. A scapegoat for the murder is ready at hand. Lady Edgware must be seen to enter the house at Regent Gate. Well, she is seen by the butler and the secretary. She even goes so far as to announce her identity. They don't bird Rosa. It would awaken suspicion in an oyster. You mean that Carlotta Adams announced herself as Lady Edgeware? Remember that the woman who came to Regent Gate was wearing black. And Jane Wilkinson never wears black. Well, even so, I can't see Carlotta Adams killing Lord Edgeware. Then did someone else enter that house before or after the supposed visit of Lady Edgeware? And if it was Carlotta Adams, how did she explain her presence to Lord Edgeware? She might have deceived the butler and Miss Carroll, but she could not deceive Edgeware himself. Or was she already dead before she entered the house? Oh, stop it, Poirot, stop it. You're making my head spin. No, 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 my friend. We are only considering possibilities. It is like trying on the clothes, huh? Does this fit? No, it wrinkles on the shoulder. This one? Yes, yes, that is better, but not quite large enough. So on and so on, until we reach the perfect fit, the truth. So, who do you suspect at present? Oh, it's far too early to say. One must go into the question of who had a motive for wishing that they were dead. Well, there is, of course, the nephew who inherits... Mm, little obvious, perhaps. And then there is the question of enemies. Oh, I imagine there are quite a number of those. Whoever it was must have fancied himself pretty safe. Remember, Hastings, but for her change of mind at the last minute, Jane Wilkinson would have had no alibi. She would have been arrested, tried, probably hanged. 
But there is one thing that puzzles me. What is that? Obviously, the criminal wished to incriminate her. But what was the purpose of the telephone call to her at Montague Corners? Why did someone ring her up at Chiswick and, once satisfied of her presence there, immediately ring off? It looks as though someone wanted to be certain that she was there before proceeding to... To what? To the murder? But that would mean that the murderer wished to be certain that she had an alibi. When you'd imagine that he'd be trying to incriminate her. Exactly, Hastings. Oh, there must be a reason for it. But what... I really can't understand how Carlotta Adams came to be involved in it at all. She seems such a... such a thoroughly nice girl. I do not think she committed the murder, Hastings. She's too cool and level-headed for that. Possibly she was not even told that murder would be done. Possibly she... Oh, oh my God, Hastings. I have been blind. A taxi at once. Oh, but what are you on earth? There is no time to waste. Taxi! Taxi! Do you know her address? Oh, Colonel Adams, you mean? Yes, sir. We I, must I, be I, quick. Every second is vital. Yes? What can I do for you? Miss Carlotta Adams lives here. Can we speak with her? But you haven't heard. Heard what? Miss Adams is dead. Oh, no. She passed away in her sleep. Oh. Too late. Forgive me asking, sir, but are you a friend of hers? Obviously, you called a doctor. What did she say? He said she must have taken an overdose of her sleeping draught. Veronal, I think he said it was. I must come in. Well, I hardly think... My name is Hercule Poirot. I am a detective, and this is my colleague, Captain Hastings. I have to inquire into the circumstances of your mistress's death. Of course. Come in. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, please, what is your name? Benny. Alice Benny. Now, Miss Bennett, will you be so good as to tell us what happened? I took her tea in at the usual time, half past nine, and she was still asleep. Well, that's what I thought. I noticed there was something not quite natural about the way she was lying. I touched her hand. It was ice cold. It must have been a terrible shock for you. Yes, sir, it was. Now, was she in the habit of taking sleeping tablets? She'd take something for a headache now and again, but it must have been some other stuff she took last night, or so the doctor said. Did anyone come and visit her last night? No, sir. She went out about seven o'clock. And can you tell me how she was dressed? She was wearing a black dress, sir, and a black hat. Mm-hmm. And did she wear any jewellery? Just the string of pearls she always wore. And gloves? Grey gloves? Yes, sir. Her gloves were grey. Hmm. And can you tell me what her manner was when she went out? Was she excited, nervous? I can tell you one thing. She was smiling to herself as though she was pleased with something. What time did she return? A little after twelve o'clock. Hmm. And what was her manner then? She was terribly tired, but I could tell she was pleased about something. She started to ring someone up on the telephone and... Then she said she couldn't be bothered. She'd do it in the morning. Ah. And did you hear the name of the person she rang up? No, sir. But it was a Victoria number. I remember that. Hmm. Now, tell me, 
This little attache case. Did Miss Adams take it out with her last night? She took it out in the morning. She didn't have it when she came back at tea time, but she brought it back last night. Ah, that is very interesting. You permit that I open it? Certainly, sir. You see, Hastings? A wig of golden hair and a pair of grey gloves. Do you doubt now, my friend? No, I don't. Now, do you know with whom Miss Adams dined yesterday evening, Miss Bennet? No, sir. But I believe she had lunch with Miss Driver. Miss Driver? They were great friends. Miss Driver has a hat shop in Moffat Street. It's called Genevieve. Now, one thing more, mademoiselle. Can you remember anything Miss Adams said or did after she came in at six o'clock that strikes you as particularly significant? I can't really say that I can, sir. She was writing letters until she went out. Do you by any chance know to whom she was writing? Yes, sir. It was just one letter, really, to her sister in Washington. She wrote her twice a week. Mm -hmm. She took the letter out with her in the evening to post, but she forgot it and brought it back with her. Then it is still here? No, sir. I posted it. She remembered it last night, just as she was getting into bed. I see. Is the body still here? Yes, sir. Would you like to see her, sir? I would. Thank you. Through here, sir. There she is. Beautiful, isn't she? As if she didn't have a care in the world. I make a vow, Hastings. I will bring the killer to justice. Well, there is one thing off my mind at least. I could not have saved her. By the time I heard of Lord Edgeway's murder, she was already dead. Yes, that comforts me a little. Miss Bennet. Yes, sir. I would be greatly obliged if you would give me the name and address of the doctor you summoned. Dr. Eath, 17 Carlisle Street. It's such a stupid waste. I suppose these theatre girls think it's fashionable to take drugs. She was an addict, you think? It doesn't look like it. There were no marks of a needle. I don't suppose she took Varanel every night, but she'd evidently been on it for some time. What makes you think so? I found this little box among her things. Hmm. Quite an expensive little trinket. Gold with her initials in rubies. And full of Varanel. Do you see what's written inside? Uh, C.A. from D. Paris, November the 10th. Sweet dreams. November the 10th. Exactly. And we're now in June. That seems to show that she'd been in the habit of taking the stuff for at least six months. Paris. D. I suppose you want to know if it's suicide. Well, I can't tell you. Nobody can. It looks like an accident, and in my opinion, that's what it is. Varanel's tricky stuff. Well, that seemed pretty conclusive. I will not believe it, Hastings. It is too convenient. It was not suicide. No. She played her part, 
and in doing so she signed her death warrant. Veronal may have been chosen because it was known that she occasionally took it and that she had the box in her possession. That means that the murderer must have been someone she knew very well. The mysterious D, perhaps. I would give a good deal to know who that D was. I think we should take another taxi. Where to now? To Miss Adams' old friend, Miss Driver. I just can't believe it. Yesterday she was so full of life, so excited. Can you tell us why, mademoiselle? Well, she wouldn't tell me anything definite. Said she'd promise not to. But she'd got something on. Something in the nature of a gigantic hoax. A hoax? That's what she said. Only Carlotta's not the kind of person who goes in for that sort of thing as a rule. Somebody had obviously put her up to it. And I suspect, though she didn't say so. What do you suspect? I thought that money was involved. My impression was that she'd taken on something for a bet and that she was pretty sure of winning. She did not actually say so? Not in so many words. But I got the impression that she stood to gain quite a lot of money. Mm -hmm. She hinted that she'd be able to do this, that and the other in the near future. She was going to get her sister over from America to meet her in Paris. She was crazy about her little sister. Very delicate, I believe. And there was something else that struck me as odd. Uh, what was that, mademoiselle? She bought a new hat from me yesterday. Was that particularly unusual? No, but it was the kind of hat she bought that was unusual. She wanted one to shade the left side of her face. Ah, and hats at present are worn on the right side of the head. Yes. Well, it struck me at the time. Why should she want to cover the left side of her face? Poirot! Hmm? Jane Wilkinson has a tiny mole at the corner of her left eye. Vous avez parfaitement raison, his jeans. Hmm? Yes. That explains the purchase of the hat. Well, I'm glad it makes sense to you. Well, that's all I can tell you, I think. Is that what you wanted to know? Yes, it confirms my theory. I had hoped I'd meet for more. I had anticipated that Miss Adams would have been bound to secrecy, but... Uh, I had hoped that, being a woman, she would not have counted revealing the secret to her best friend. I tried to make her tell me, but she only laughed and said she'd tell me about it one day. Uh, tell me, was Miss Adams in the habit of taking Veronel? Not that I know. Is that what they say killed her? Well, I never saw her take it, and she never spoke of it. Uh, did you ever see in her bag a small gold box with the initials C.A. on it in rubies? No. Never. It sounds pretty flashy. Carlotta didn't go in for flashy things. Do you happen to know where Miss Adams was last November? Well, she went back to the States at the end of November. Before that, I think she was in Paris. Alone? Of course she was alone. She wasn't the weekending sort, if that's what you're driving at. Do you know any friend of hers whose initial is D? D? No, I can't think of anyone. Apart from myself, that is. Can you tell me whether there was any man that Miss Adams was specially interested in? Ever since I've known her, Carlotta's been entirely wrapped up in her work and in her kid sister. She's an invalid, you know. So the answer's no, strictly speaking. And uh, not so strictly speaking? Well, I shouldn't wonder if, lately, Carlotta hadn't been getting interested in some man. She's been different. Not exactly dreamy. Abstracted. I, I can't explain. It's the sort of thing another woman just feels. 
And, of course, may be quite wrong about. Do you happen to know whether Miss Adams was acquainted with Brian Martin, the film actor? Oh, it wouldn't have been him. She didn't think much of him. She thought him dreadfully conceited. Oh, she knew him then. She used to know him as a child, I think. But that's all. Does the name of Lord Edgware mean anything to you? The man who was murdered? The same. Do you know if Miss Adams was acquainted with him? I don't think so. I'm sure she wasn't. But... Yes, mademoiselle? Well, she did speak of him once. Very bitterly. Bitterly? She said that men like that shouldn't be allowed to ruin other people's lives by their cruelty and lack of understanding. She said... She said that he was the kind of man whose death would probably be a good thing for everybody. When did she say this? About a month ago, I think. How did the subject come up? Well, I can't remember. But I thought it was odd that Carlotta should be so vehement when she didn't even know the man. But are you implying that she was somehow mixed up in his murder? It begins to look very likely, mademoiselle. And is that why she's dead? I am certain of it. believe it was Carlotta Adams who killed Edgware? It remains a possibility, Hastings, but the fact that she told Jenny Driver that people like Edgware would be better dead is not proof that she murdered him. Oh, if only Miss Driver had been able to provide some clue as to the identity of Dee, the person who gave Miss Adams the little gold box. But for the moment we must put that aside and study all those who profit to any degree by Lord Edgware's death. His nephew, his daughter, his wife. The man his wife wanted to marry. But the Duke of Merton was in Paris. Quite, but you cannot deny that he is an interested party. However, I think our first point of attack should be a further interview with Jane Wilkinson. Lady Edgware, what do you expect to learn from her? She is shrewd. She may be able to suggest something. Sit down, Monsieur Poirot. Captain Hastings, if you can find anywhere to sit. I'm sorry about this chaos, but I'm trying out my mourning. Why is it that whenever you come to see me, I'm trying on hats? Ellis, I think we should see what that little one there looks like. Yes, madam. I've had the sweetest telegram from the Duke. From Paris? Of course. Guarded and supposed to be condolences, but I can read between the lines. My felicitations, madam. It all seems to be so miraculous. All my troubles are over. No tiresome business of a divorce. It's almost like an answer to a prayer. I cannot say I look at it quite like that. Somebody killed your husband. Why, of course. Has it not occurred to you to wonder who that someone was? No, I don't like that one. Pass me the one on the chair. Yes, madam. I suppose the police will find out who did it. I, too, am going to make it my business to find out. No, that won't do at all. Makes me look like a vampire bat. Try again, Ellis. Very well. Who do you think might have killed Lord Edgware? I've no idea. Geraldine, I expect. Uh, who, who's Geraldine? Dina, Edgware's daughter. That's the one, Ellis. <laughs> Dignified without being funereal. Just my style. Here's a letter for you, delivered by hand. Oh, thank you, Hastings. 
Well, what is it you say? Talk of the devil? How do you mean? See for yourself. Uh, dear sir, I believe you came to the house with the inspector from Scotland Yard. I'm sorry not to have had the opportunity of speaking to you. I should be most obliged if you could spare me a few minutes this afternoon. Yours truly, Geraldine Marsh. Quite a coincidence, don't you think? Oh, I must say, I thought Jane Wilkinson's idea that Geraldine was the murderer was positively brainless. Oh, brains. What do you really mean by that term? The lovely Lady Edgware, she does not know history, nor geography, nor the classics. But when it comes to choosing clothes, to making rich and advantageous marriages, her success is phenomenal. Her opinion could be useful because she is utterly materialistic and it would be based on the worst side of human nature. So, with that in mind, I am doubly curious to find out why Geraldine Marsh wishes to see me. I want to know why my father sent for you, Monsieur Poirot. Was he afraid of something? I must know what he said to you. Why won't you tell me? What passed between Lord Edgware and myself was in confidence. Ah, then it must have been something to do with the family. I'm his daughter. I have a right to know what my father was afraid of on the last day of his life. It isn't fair to leave me in the dark. Why are you so fond of your father, mademoiselle? Fond of him? <laughs> fond of him? <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, my dear. This just won't do. Stop it, Geraldine. Stop it at once. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll be all right. That was idiotic. It was just that that he he asked me if I was fond of my father. If you want to know the truth, Monsieur Poirot. I hated him. Geraldine, dear. Oh, why pretend? You didn't hate him because he couldn't get at you. The nasty things he did didn't concern you. You ignored him. Really, Geraldine, I don't think it's necessary to go into all this. Monsieur Poirot, I am glad that my father is dead. <laughs> at long last, I am free. And I am not in the least anxious to find this murderer. The person who killed him may well have had a very good reason. That is a dangerous principle to adopt, mademoiselle. <laughs> Will hanging someone else bring him back to life? No, but it may save other innocent people being killed. I don't understand. A person who has once killed nearly always kills again, sometimes again and again. Oh, I don't believe it. What if I were to tell you that it had already happened? Another murder? It's impossible. No, it was an illustration only. A hypothesis. I asked pardon. Oh, I'm very relieved to hear it. Now, Geraldine, if you've quite got over your hysterics, I've got work to do. <laughs> I am sorry. I have been making rather a fool of myself. Do you still refuse to tell me why my father called you in? You misunderstand, mademoiselle. Your father did not call me in. I oh. sought an interview with him on behalf of a client. That client was Lady Edgware. Oh, I see. Forgive me. I thought that my father had perhaps thought himself in some danger. It, <laughs> it was stupid. Sorry, I didn't realise you had company. 
Uh, uh, it, it's all right, Ronald. You're not interrupting. This is Monsieur Poirot, uh, my cousin, Ronald Marsh. How do you do? Uh, I suppose I should introduce you as Lord Edgware. Give it time to sink in first. Oh, and this is Captain Hastings. Ah, I think we met at Aunt Jane's little supper party. Oh, that's so. I suspect I was a little the worse for wear. <laughs> You will forgive me, Monsieur Poirot. I would like to go to my room now. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been rather upsetting for me. I, I need to lie down. Yeah, goodbye, Miss Marsh. Rum thing, life. Mm. Kicked out one day, lord of the manor the next. My late lamented uncle threw me out, you know, three years ago. But I expect you heard all about that. Something, yes. Can I offer you a drink? Uh, no, thank you. Captain Hastings? Uh, not me, thanks. You won't mind if I indulge, I'm sure. <clears throat> There's not much doubt about this one, is there? I'm surprised they haven't carted Aunt Jane off by now. Uh, she happens to have a perfectly sound alibi. How could she? Perhaps you do not know that Lady Edgware was at a party in Chiswick last night at the time of the murder. So, she went to the corners after all. Hmm, hmm. She spent all afternoon declaring that nothing would make her go, and off she goes. When planning a murder, never depend on a woman doing what she says she'll do. So, who's your top suspect? The wicked ne'er-do-well nephew? Well, I'll give you a piece of valuable information. I called to see my uncle yesterday morning, and I'm sure you can guess why. To ask for money. And I'm sure you can guess his reaction. Um, he threw you out? Ten out of ten. Oh. So I imagine your thoughts would go something like this. Guilt is to be thrown by the wicked nephew on the hated aunt by marriage. Nephews celebrated at one time for acting the female parts at OUDS does his supreme histrionic effort. He turns up here in a fair wig and a Paris hat. In a girlish voice, he announces himself as Lady Edgware and sidles past the butler with mincing steps. No suspicions are aroused. Jane, cries my fond uncle. George, I squeak. I fling my arms about his neck and neatly insert the penknife. The next details are purely medical and they can be omitted. Exit the spurious lady. And so to bed at the end of a good day's work. Uh. Works out well, doesn't it? <laughs> but I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. Mm -hmm. I have been leading you up the garden path. Mm. For now... Monsieur Poirot, we come to the alibi. I always find alibis very enjoyable. And this is a particularly good one. Three witnesses, no less. Mr. and Mrs. and Miss Dortheimer. Extremely rich and extremely musical. They have a box at Covent Garden. Into that box they invite young men with prospects. Do I like opera? Frankly, no. But I enjoy the excellent dinner in Grosvenor Square first, and I also enjoy an excellent supper somewhere else afterwards, even if I do have to dance with Rachel Dortheimer and have a stiff arm for days afterwards. So you see, Monsieur Poirot, there you are. When Uncle's lifeblood is flowing away, I am whispering sweet nothings into diamond-encrusted ears of the fair Rachel in her box at Covent Garden. I hope I haven't bored you. I can assure you I have not been bored. But there is a question I would like to ask you. Delighted. Ask away. How long have you known Carlotta Adams? 
Why on earth do you want to know? I'm curious, that's all. About a year. I got to know her when she gave her first show. You knew her well? Oh, pretty well. She's not the sort of girl you ever get to know frightfully well. But you liked her? Yes. I like her very much. Then you will be sorry to hear that she is dead. What? She can't be. I'm afraid it is true. But what happened? She took an overdose of veronal. Poor kid. How frightfully sad. She was getting on so well. I'm more sorry than I can say. I too am sorry. I do not like to see youth deprived of the right to live. Monsieur Poirot. Uh, Miss Carroll, what can I do for you? Uh, I'd like a word with you, if I may. Mm -hmm. um, could you could you come in here? Oh, certainly, mademoiselle. Uh, come, Hastings. Righto. Excuse us. Of course. It's about that child, Geraldine. Yes, mademoiselle. You mustn't pay any attention to all that nonsense she talks. She's anxious. She doesn't know what she's saying. Mm, I could see that she was suffering from overstrain. Well, to tell the truth, she hasn't had a very happy life. Lord Edgware was a most peculiar man. Quite frankly, he terrorised Geraldine. Mm, we had imagined something of the sort. He, uh, well, I, I don't quite know how to put it, but... He enjoyed seeing anyone afraid of him. Mm. It seemed to give him a morbid kind of pleasure. Quite so. He was an extremely well-read man, and a man of considerable intellect. But I'm not really surprised his wife left him. Uh, Jane Wilkinson, I mean. I didn't approve of her mind, but in marrying Lord Edgware, she got all and more than she deserved. Huh? Well, she left him, and no bones broken, as they say, but... Geraldine couldn't leave him. Oh, I shouldn't have mentioned all this, Monsieur Poirot. If it hadn't been for that very foolish outburst of Geraldine's just now, the things she said about hating her father, they might sound peculiar to anyone who didn't know. Merci, mademoiselle. Now, did Lord Edgware ever think of marrying for a third time? Oh, how could he? His wife was alive. Mm, but by giving her her freedom, he would have been free himself. I should think he'd had enough trouble with two wives as it was. So you think there would have been no question of a third marriage? There was no one? I think, mademoiselle. No one? I cannot understand why you keep harping on the point. Of course there was no one. Why were you so concerned about Edgware's marrying again? I don't see the point of it. I have been searching in my mind for something to explain his sudden fault fast regarding the matter of a divorce. There is something curious there, my friend. Yes, it is rather odd. If he had met someone he desired to marry, it would have accounted for it. Miss Carroll turned down the idea very decisively. Mm, she was perhaps a little too decisive. But what reason could she possibly have for lying about it? None. But it is difficult to trust her evidence. I can't see why you think she should be lying. She looks a very upright person. Mm, that's just it. Between the deliberate falsehood and the disinterested inaccuracy, it is very hard to tell sometimes. What do you mean? To deceive deliberately, that is one thing. But to be so sure of your facts, of your ideas, and their essential truth, that the details do not matter, that, my friend, is a special characteristic of particularly honest persons. Already, Mark, you, she has told us one lie. 
She said she saw Jane Wilkinson's face when she could not possibly have done so. Exact details have no importance for her. She knows. And so she answers questions in the light of her knowledge, not by reason of remembered facts. The positive witness should always be treated with suspicion, my friend. Hmm? The uncertain witness who doesn't remember, isn't sure, will um, think a minute... Uh, and, uh, ah, yes, 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 that's how it was. Is infinitely more to be depended on. Dear me, Poirot, you upset all my preconceived ideas about witnesses. What was your impression of the Honourable Geraldine Hastings? I was sorry for her. I'm genuinely sorry for her. Yes, she has not had a happy life. That is very clearly written on her face. At any rate, you realise how preposterous Jane Wilkinson's suggestion was that she should have anything to do with the crime, I mean. Doubtless her alibi is satisfactory, but Rapp has not yet communicated it to me. Do you mean to say that even after seeing her and talking to her, you're still not satisfied? But what is the result of seeing and talking to her? Hmm? We perceive that she has passed through great unhappiness. She admits that she hated her father and is glad that he is dead. And she is deeply uneasy about what he may have said to us yesterday morning. And after that, you suggest no alibi is necessary. Her frankness proves her innocence. Oh. <laughs> what I so value about you, Hastings, is that you are the personification of the normal mind. How do you mean? When the criminal sets out to do a crime, his first effort is to deceive, and he seeks to deceive the normal mind. Your reactions, Hastings, are exemplary. Huh. As in a mirror, I can see reflected in your mind exactly what the criminal expects me to believe. You are invaluable. Oh, I'm not sure that all this is exactly complimentary. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There are a few questions which concern me. The first is, why did Lord Edgware change his mind on the subject of the divorce? There is no suggestion that he was thinking of taking a new wife. The second question is, what happened to the letter he wrote telling his wife he had no objections to a divorce? To whose interest was it that Lord Edgware and his wife should remain tied together? And the third question is, why did someone telephone to find out if Lady Edgware was at the Corners dinner party in Chiswick? And who was it? Oh, I don't seem to be getting further on any of them. We shall try, my friend. We shall try. This evening, we are going to pay a little call on Sir Montague Corner. It's a great pleasure to make your acquaintance, Monsieur Poirot. Uh, let me introduce you to Mr. and Mrs. Whitburn. Good evening. I've heard so much about you, Monsieur Poirot. And Mr. Donald Ross. Oh, the actor? Just so. I have often admired your work, Mr. Ross. Uh, thank you, Monsieur Poirot. Oh, but I am disturbing your cards. Oh, not in the least. We haven't started. Uh, will you and Captain Hastings take coffee? No, no thank you. Not for me. Uh, but I'm sure you won't refuse a glass of cognac. Uh, Jenkins, cognac for our guests, if you please. Uh, yes, Sir Montague. I'm sorry to have to bring the subject of murder to such a tranquil atmosphere. Oh, oh I wouldn't worry about that, Monsieur Poirot. We're all quite fascinated. 
The inspector's already been here. He came about Jane Wilkinson, I suppose. It was fortunate for that lady that she was here at the time of the murder. Yes, so it seems. I asked her, knowing she was beautiful and talented, and hoping that I might be able to be of use to her. She was thinking of going into management. Uh, but it seems that I was fated to be of luck to her in a very different way. Jane's got luck. She's been dying to get rid of Edgware for years. Here's somebody gone and saved her the trouble. She seemed a highly intelligent woman. She made some very perceptive remarks about Greek art. Ah, did she? Edgware was a queer fish, by all accounts. I dare say he had a good few enemies. Which brings me to the object of my visit. Uh, your cognac, sir. Oh, thank you. Lady Edgware was called to the telephone when she was here at dinner. It is about that call that I seek information. Oh, Jenkins is the man to give you that. He took the call. Ah, now, did the person who telephoned ask to speak to Lady Edgware or to Jane Wilkinson? Uh, to Lady Edgware, sir. A voice asked if this was Chiswick 43434. I replied that it was. I was asked to hold the line. Another voice then asked if Lady Edgware was dining here. I said that she was. The voice said, I would like to speak to her, please. I informed her ladyship, who was at the dinner table, and showed her where the phone was. And then? Her ladyship said, hello, who's speaking. Then she said, yes, that's right. I was just about to leave her ladyship when she called to me and said that she'd been cut off. She said someone had laughed and hung up the receiver. And was it a man's voice or a woman's? A lady, I think, sir. What kind of voice? High or low? Low, sir. Careful and distinct. Thank you. You make an excellent witness. Oh, an excellent cognac too, Sir Montague. You know, I doubt whether any of us will forget that evening in a hurry. Did you know we were 13 at table, Monty? Not until we sat down. Maynard rang at the last minute to say he couldn't make it. I hoped no one would notice. I noticed. Was that why you were the first to leave, Mr. Ross? <laughs> You're the goods, Mushapwara. You really are. <laughs> so it was Carlotta Adams who went to Regent Gate. Mind you, I don't go along with the notion that someone killed her. You think that Carlotta Adams killed Lord Edgware? I don't see there's much doubt about it. She went there for purposes of her own. Blackmail, probably, since you say there was money in the offing. They had a bit of a dispute. He turned nasty, she turned nasty, and she finished him off. When she got home, she went to pieces. She hadn't meant to murder. So she took an overdose as the easiest way out. And you think that covers all the facts? We've had some odd reports coming in. One of them says a waitress saw someone like Carlotta Adams in Lyons Corner House in the Strand at 11 o'clock. Oh, how did you come across that? They'd been mentioned in the papers of the little gold box. It seems the waitress remembered that a lady she had served that evening had such a box in her hand. That may have been the moment she decided she was going to end it all. I'm sure she murdered him. There's no case against anybody else. The two people who stood to gain most were both at the opera when it happened. You mean that Geraldine Marsh was at the opera too? With some people called Carthy West. They saw her home afterwards, so that disposes of her. I only wish I could be so sure. Mind you, there are a few things that don't quite fit in. For one thing, Lord Edgware's key is missing. The latch key? Yes, and some money has disappeared. Not much, mind you, but it's puzzling all the same. 
A cheque was cashed on the day of the murder. A hundred pounds. Lord Edgware took the money in French notes for his journey to Paris. There's no sign of it. Who told you of this? Miss Carroll. She cashed the cheque and gave it to Lord Edgware around three o'clock. Mm, certainly a complication. And there's something else. Hmm? The butler's gone. I let him slip through my fingers. The fellow who looked like a Greek god? I'll give him Greek god if ever I catch him. It seems it isn't the first time he's given people the slip. He's an old hand. Took the it does not mean he's the murderer. And it might account for the missing hundred quid. <sighs> I'll get it. Hello? I'd begun Captain to get on to him, you see. Seems Hello? he's mixed up with a couple of rather yes, nasty it, nightclubs. A Poirot, it's for you. Brown Martin. Oh, forgive me, Jap. Oh, let me get you a cup of coffee, Inspector. Uh, hello, Mr. Martin. Uh, Monsieur Poirot, I've been talking to the lady in question about the man who's been shadowing me. You remember? I remember. She won't hear of you taking up the case. I've argued with her, but to no avail, I'm afraid. So we're going to have to let the matter drop. I'm very sorry to have bothered you. It is of no consequence. I expected it. You expected it? I knew it would happen. I see. Now, um, about your fee... Not a penny. I have done nothing to aid you. But there is one thing I would like to ask you. Anything you like. How well did you know Miss Adams? Not very well. I came across her once or twice, but I never saw much of her. I was very sorry to hear of her death. They seem to think it was suicide. I do not think it was suicide. But I must not detain you any longer. Once again, my apologies. It's nothing, I assure you. Goodbye. Goodbye, Monsieur Poirot. I'm sorry about that, my dear chap. I must be on my way. Thanks for the coffee, Captain. Uh, yeah. Any orders, Poirot? Orders? No, 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 no. Um, a suggestion, yes. Fire away. I think that you might circularize the taxicabs. Find one that took a fare, or more probably two fares, from the neighborhood of Covent Garden to Regent Gate on the night of the murder, round about uh, 20 minutes to 11. Hmm, can't do any harm. And occasionally you do come up with a good idea. Huh. You flatter me, Inspector. <laughs> so long, Poirot. Oh, uh, Captain Hastings. Thank Goodbye, Jam. Goodbye. Thank you. So... What was Martin all about? Ask me no questions, my friend. And please, mm, bring me the benzene. A morsel of my breakfast egg descended on my waistcoat. Oh, oh and I would be obliged if you were to change your tie. Hmm? Oh, it's, it's, it's a jolly good tie. Uh, yeah, possibly so, but it is not suitable. Oh, are we proposing to go and call on King George? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We are going to see the Duke of Merton. Hmm. He has returned to London. I'm told you insisted on seeing me, Monsieur Poirot, is it? You may perhaps have heard of me. Not that I know of. I study the psychology of crime. I fail to see why that has brought you here. I am at present engaged in investigating the circumstances surrounding the death of Lord Edgware. Indeed, I was not acquainted with him. But you are, I think, acquainted with his wife. Jane Wilkinson? I don't see that that's any of your business. You are aware that she is supposed to have had a strong motive for desiring the death of her husband? I am really not aware of anything of the kind. I should like to ask you, Your Grace, are you shortly going to marry Jane Wilkinson? When I am engaged to marry anyone, the fact will be announced in the newspapers. I consider your question an impertinence. Good morning.
Well, that didn't exactly go very well. What did you hope to get out of it? I wanted to know whether he and Jane Wilkinson were really going to marry. But she told you they were. She told me. Can one trust the world of such a woman? Mm. Well, the Duke certainly sent you away with a flea in your ear. He gave me the reply he would give to a reporter. But I know... I know exactly how things stand. Oh, yes, Inspector Jack was very anxious to speak to you, Mr Poirot. He's hit the nail on the head as usual, he said. Oh, in what way have I hit the nail on the head? As luck would have it, he said, one of the first drivers I spoke to came along with the goods. And you were right all along, he said. There is a man behind it all, and he wants you to go over to Scotland Yard straight away. Oh, but that's simply splendid. Isn't that what you wanted, Poirot? Yes, it is what I wanted. Jap is convinced. But I was beginning to build up a very different picture of the murderer. What kind of a picture? Of someone who hated Jane Wilkinson so much as to see her hanged for the murder of her husband. But now, I, Hercule Poirot... I'm no longer convinced. This is the man, Poirot. Name of Hobson. You picked Jobson. up a... What? Jobson. You said it was Hobson. Oh, sorry. Anyway, on the night of the 29th, he picked up these two people in Longacre. Floral Street, it was. Look, why don't you tell them? A gent in a white waistcoat and a young lady in a white evening dress. Very pretty, it was, with birds embroidered all over it. Well, they come out of the opera, I suppose. Uh, what time was this? Uh, half ten, it might have been. Mm-hmm. He tells me to go to Regent Gate and be quick about it, as if I wanted to take me time over it, particularly that time of night with all the theatres coming out. Just get on with it, can't you? Well, I get to Regent Gate. Seven minutes it took me. He stops me around, I suppose it would have been about number eight. They both got out, but he stayed where he was while the lady began walking back along the houses on the other side. After about five minutes, he makes a kind of exclamation under his breath and goes off after her, and I go off after him. I've been had like that before, and by Toff's in evening dress. He went into one of the houses on the other side of the road. Did he push the door open? Nah, he had a latchkey. And what was the number of the house? I'm not sure whether it was 17 or 18. Oh, near enough. Go on. About five minutes later, him and the young lady come out together, and he asked me to drive him back to Covent Garden. It paid me handsome, I must say. Right, Hobson, I've got some photos here. Jobson. Just run your eyes over them and tell me whether the young lady's among them. Uh. Ah, that's her. That one. Sure? Oh, quite sure. Uh, what about the man? Have a look at these. Uh, well, I, c- I can't be sure. It might be this. 
Or maybe this one. Fair enough. That'll be all for the time being. Uh, reward, is there? <laughs> Try the outer office. Mm. So long, gents. <sighs> Bye. Bango the alibi for young Marsh and the Honourable Geraldine. What made you suspect them, Poirot? Marsh put so much emphasis on his alibi that I was sure something was wrong with it. And when you told me that Geraldine was at the Opera House, well, it occurred to me that they might have met during one of the intervals. And they could easily have got to Regent Gate and back in half an hour. You're a nice, suspicious sort of fellow, aren't you? <laughs> His lordship is our man, all right. We've heard from Carlotta Adams' sister in New York. She wasn't willing to let us have the letter Miss Adams wrote to her on the night of the murder, but she sent us the text by cable. Take a look at it. I've underlined the important bits. Uh, please uh, read it, Hastings. Um, uh, the other night I met Jane Wilkinson, and she was so sweet about my show and my take-off of her. You know she is really Lady Edgware. I've heard a lot about her husband too lately, and he's no beauty, I can assure you. He treated his nephew, the Captain Marsh I've mentioned to you, in the most shameful way, literally turned him out of the house and discontinued his allowance. He told me all about it and I felt awfully sorry for him. He enjoyed my show very much. He said, I believe it would take in Lord Edgware himself. Look here, will you take something on for a bet? I laughed and said, how much? And the answer fairly took my breath away. Ten thousand dollars. Just to help someone win a silly bet. I said that I'd play a joke on the King in Buckingham Palace for that. So we put our heads together and got down to details. We've got him. Yes, I suppose we have. A piece of luck for us that she wrote that letter. Yes, and something the murderer did not expect. The murderer thought he had taken all precautions, and in all innocence, Carlotta Adams outwitted him. The dead speak. Yes, sometimes the dead speak. Well, I must get on with things. You are going to arrest Captain Marsh, Lord Edgware? Why not? The case against him seems proved up to the hilt. May I be present? Certainly. I owe the idea to you. And uh, could I have a copy of that cable? Anything you like. You seem very despondent about it all. What's the matter, Poirot? I don't know. There is something wrong. Somewhere or other there is a fact that escapes us. It all fits together as I imagined it, and yet there is something wrong. You want things to be difficult. That's your trouble. Let's go and see what his lordship's got to say for himself. Alibi gone up in smoke, I take it. Was it the taxi driver? We know all about your movements on the night of the murder. But do you seriously think that if I was planning a murder, I'd have hailed a taxi and kept the chap waiting outside while I did it? You look doubtful, Monsieur Poirot. It had occurred to me, yes. The truth of the matter is that I was desperate for money. I had to get it by the next day or the consequences would have been rather nasty. My uncle wouldn't help me, but, but I told you that. I thought I'd have a shot at borrowing from Dortheimer. That's why I accepted his invitation to the opera. But borrowing from Dortheimer meant marrying his daughter. And I couldn't face that. Mm. By sheer chance, at Covent Garden, I met my cousin Geraldine. Ah. <clears throat> I found myself telling her all about it. She's always been a decent kid. She suggested I should take her pearls as collateral. 
They belong to her, her mother and... Uh, Carry on. I accepted her offer. What else could I do? But the pearls were at Regent Gate, and I needed the money that night. So we jumped into a taxi and went. The idea was that she would go in quickly, grab the pearls, and come back to me. Her father would probably be in a library. So, in she went. And I waited on the pavement, smoking a cigarette. And then a man passed by me and went into my uncle's house, number 17. At least that's what I thought, but he... He was some distance away. He let himself in with a key, and I thought I recognised him. Brian Martin, the film actor. Brian Martin, eh? I thought I'd better see what was going on. I still had my own latch key, so I let myself into the house... The hall was empty. There was no sign that anyone had just gone in. There was no sound from my uncle's study. I felt a bit of a fool, and I was just tiptoeing back to the front door when Geraldine came down the stairs with the pearls. I gave her quite a shock. We got back to the opera just as the curtain was going up. No one was any the wiser. So why didn't you tell us this? What would you have done? If you had a murder motive that stuck out a yard, would you have admitted that you'd actually been at the place the murder was committed on the night in question? Anyway, I was certain that Jane had done it. Did the Dortheimers notice your absence at the interval? No. They were convinced that I'd been at Covent Garden all the time. The fact that I spent one interval with my cousin wouldn't strike them as suspicious. And she could always say she'd been with me there, and we hadn't left the place. Miss Marsh agreed to this concealment? Oh, yes. As soon as I heard the news, I got on to her and warned her not to say anything about her excursion here. She'd been with me, and I'd been with her during the last interval at Covent Garden. We'd walked in the street a little, that was all. She understood and quite agreed. I'm, I know it looks bad, coming out with this afterwards. But the story's true enough. I can give you the name and address of the man who let me have the cash on Geraldine's pearls. And if you ask her, she'll confirm every word I've told you. You say you thought Jane Wilkinson had committed the murder, Lord Edgware. Well, wouldn't you have thought so after the butler's story? What about the wager with Miss Adams? With Carlotta Adams? What's she got to do with it? Do you deny that you offered her the sum of $10,000 to impersonate Jane Wilkinson at your uncle's house that night? Offered her $10,000? Someone's been pulling your leg, Inspector. I haven't got hold of $10,000 to offer. Does she say so? How could she say so? Oh, God, I forgot. She's dead, isn't she? Yes, she is dead. I don't understand any of this. What I have told you is the truth. I suppose you don't believe me. Oh, yes. I believe you. Little man not at home? Uh, no, please take a seat, Inspector. <sighs> what the devil's got into him? I can tell you, Captain Hastings, you could have knocked me down with a feather when he stepped up to Marsh and said, I believe you. For all the world, as though he was acting in a romantic melodrama. It beats me. It beats me, too. I tried to ask him what it was all about, but he just waved his arms about in the air and ran out. 
Well, that was about half an hour ago. He's always been what I call peculiar. Got his own particular angle of looking at things, and a very queer one it is. Mm. He's a kind of genius, I admit that. But they always say that genius is a very near the borderline and liable to slip over any minute. He's always been fond of having things difficult. A straightforward case is never good enough for him. No, it's got to be tortuous. He's got away from real life, plays a game of his own. <laughs> it's like an old lady playing at patience. If it doesn't come out, she cheats. <laughs> well, it's the other way around with him. If it's coming out too easily, he cheats to make it more difficult. <laughs> Oh, that's the way I look at it. <laughs> ah, so you are here, my good chap. Uh, oh, I am glad. It was on my mind that I must see you as soon as possible. Was it? We are wrong. It is grievous to admit it, but we have made a mistake. I set you on the wrong trail. I was bound to get there anyway. You got a bit ahead of me, that's all. If harm, if loss of prestige comes to you through listening to my ideas, I shall blame myself bitterly. <laughs> Don't you worry yourself, Poirot. I'm going all out to get a conviction. If by any chance the third housemaid owns up she did it well, I'll take my medicine and I won't complain. You led me up the garden. I will say no more. Now, let's get down to brass tacks. I saw the Honourable Geraldine, and her story tallied exactly with his lordship's. Hmm. They may both be in it together, but it's my opinion he bluffed her. She's three parts sweet on him anyway. Took on terribly when I told her he'd been arrested. Poor girl. How did the secretary react, Miss Carroll? Wasn't too surprised, I fancy. Well, what about the pearls? Was that part of the story true? Absolutely. He raised the money on them early the following morning. But I don't think that touches the main argument. As I see it, the plan came into his head when he came across his cousin at the opera. He sees that by involving her, he gains additional security for himself. He plays on her feelings, hints at the pearls. She plays up and off they go. As soon as she's in the house, he follows her in and goes along to the library. Maybe his lordship has dozed off in his chair. Anyway, in two seconds he's done the trick and he's out again. I don't fancy he meant the girl to catch him in the house. He counted on being found pacing up and down near the taxi. Anyway, the next morning he has to pledge the pearls. He must still seem to be in need of the money. Then, when he hears of the crime, he frightens the girl into concealing their visit to the house. They will say that they spent that interval together at the opera house. Then why did they not do so? Changed his mind or judged that she wouldn't be able to go through with it. She's a nervous type. Yes, she is a nervous type. Now, it does not strike you that it would have been easier and simpler for Captain Marsh to have left the opera during the interval by himself, to have gone in quietly with his key, killed his uncle and returned to the opera, instead of having a taxi outside and a nervous girl coming down the stairs any minute who might lose her head and give him away? That's what you and I would have done. But then we're a shade brighter than Captain Ronald Marsh. I am not so sure. He strikes me as intelligent. He doesn't seem very intelligent to me. What about that cock and bull story about seeing someone who looked like Brian Martin, a man who'd never even met Lord Edgware? Brian Martin wasn't even in London that night. He took a young lady to dine at Molesey. They didn't get back to London until after midnight. An actress? No, oh, as a matter of fact, it was Carlotta Adams' friend, Miss Driver. And I think you'll agree her testimony is above suspicion. I am not disputing it, my friend. But there are so many facts still unaccounted for. The death of Miss Adams. I'm inclined to think it was an accidental overdose. And the pillbox from D in Paris. Ancient history, I imagine. 
She was given it at least six months before the murder. Six months ago. Oh, je suis bête. What's he saying? Why does Mr. Ivan not recognize the box? Because it had only just been given to Carlotta Adams. November is not the date when it was given to her, but the date of which the box is to be a souvenir. Investigate that, I implore you, my good chap. It was bought uh, probably in Paris. Please, do this for me. Do no harm, I suppose. Can't say I'm very excited about it, but I'll do what I can. I knew that I could count on you. <sighs> Will you join us for lunch, perhaps? Must be going, I'm afraid. No time for leisurely lunches in my job. Café, monsieur? Uh, thank you. Jeff has not thought the problem through, my friend. Are we to believe that Carlotta Adams would have let herself be you? Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you, monsieur. Would she have let herself be used if she knew it was to incriminate Jane Wilkinson? Good Lord. Yes. You see, once you begin to look at things in a different light... No, no, I didn't mean that. Do you see who's at the table over there? Brian Martin and Jenny Driver. Yes, Hastings, I know. She's seen us. She's coming over. I expected that she would. Forgive me, but may I talk to you a minute, Monsieur Poirot? It would be a pleasure, mademoiselle. Will not uh, Monsieur Martin join us also? I told him not to. You see, I wanted to talk to you about Carlotta. Yes, mademoiselle. You said you wanted information on some male friend of hers. That is so. I think that the man she cared about was Ronald Marsh, the man who's just succeeded to the title. What makes you think that? She was speaking in a general sort of way about how a man might be a decent sort, really, and yet go down the hill. More sinned against than sinning, you know. But did she mention his name? Yes, she did. She said she thought he'd been badly treated. I think she was getting soft about him. Is this of any use to you? I think you have perhaps given me some very valuable information. But I take it you have not heard that Ronald Marsh has just been arrested. For the murder? (sighs) Then my bit of thinking comes rather late in the day. It is never too late. Thank you, mademoiselle. I must be getting back. Give Mr. Martin my best wishes. Au revoir, mademoiselle. Goodbye, Monsieur Poirot. Uh, goodbye. Uh, quite a coincidence. Doesn't that rather shake your belief in Marsh's innocence? No, Hastings. It strengthens it. So what's the next step? There is no next step. We wait. It is the most difficult thing in the world to do, but we must wait. Uh, what do we wait for? A letter from America. Well, here's the original letter. Um, My dear Monsieur Poirot, I was much touched by your very kind letter. Apart from my terrible grief, I have been very bewildered by some of the things which have been hinted about Carlotta. She did not take drugs, I'm certain of that. I am enclosing the actual letter, since that is what you requested. I hate parting with her last letter, but I know I can trust you with it. You write so kindly and with such understanding, and you seem to realise what Carlotta and I were to each other. I'm gratefully yours, Lucy Adams. Well, what do you hope to get out of that? I had to see what she had actually written, because as it stands, that letter is impossible. It seemed to me to be a perfectly ordinary letter. What's impossible about it? As I have reasoned it out, certain things must be. They follow each other with method and order. But the letter does not accord. Ah. 
Is it a letter which is wrong or Hercule Poirot? <laughs> you don't think it could possibly be Hercule Poirot? There are times when I have been in error, Hastings, but this is not one of them. Hmm. Now, pass me my little microscope, if you please. Uh, there is something about this letter which escapes us. But what is it? Uh, uh, there is no forgery. It is all written in the same hand. But, ah, ah look here, Hastings. Come and look. Do you see? Um, no, frankly, I don't. But look, all the sheets have a clean edge, except for this one. Do you see? The edge is ragged. This was a double sheet. Don't you see? One page of the letter must be missing. Hmm. How can it be? It makes sense. He enjoyed my show very much. He said he believed it would have taken in Lord Edgware himself. Ah, but do you not see that he who enjoyed the show is not the he who believed it would take in Lord Edgware? In between, a sheet is missing. Oh, but why should anyone do that? Ah, somehow or other, our murderer gets hold of this letter. He is about to suppress it when he sees that by removing one page, the letter can be twisted into a damning accusation of another man. But how did he get hold of the letter? I believe that on the night of Lord Edgware's death, Carlotta Adams met the murderer at some appointed spot. He gave her some final instructions. And you think he may have noticed the letter in her handbag and sensed danger? Somehow or other, he got hold of it unseen, made an excuse for leaving... Uh, read it through and tore out a page. And returned it without her noticing. I also fancy that it was the murderer who gave her the gold box, and therefore the murderer was D. I don't see the point of that gold box. To create an impression that she had been taking Verona, and for a considerable time. Now, let us say that she met the murderer after the murder, if only for a few minutes. They had a drink together to celebrate the success of her impersonation of Jane Wilkinson. And in the girl's drink, the murderer put sufficient Verona to ensure that there should be no waking for her the following day. Horrible. Are you going to tell all this to Jap? Not at the moment. What have I got to tell? He would say that it was another nest of the mare. But think. If the man had cut the paper and not torn it, we should have noticed nothing. How fortunate that he was careless. Excuse me. N Poirot? Oh, no, no, not now, Hastings. Can't you see I'm busy... You must have gone over every millimetre of that letter with your microscope. What else do you expect to find? The identity of the murderer. Look, Poirot, Geraldine Marsh is here. She's in a terrible state because Ronald Marsh has been arrested. She says she simply has to talk to you. But why did you not say so? Show her in at once. Oh, right-ho. Uh, please come in, Miss Marsh. Thank you. Monsieur Poirot, I, I had to come and see you. I just I don't... understand, mademoiselle. But was it true what you said to Ronald? Did you really believe him? I do not believe that your cousin killed Lord Edgware. Oh, well, th then who do you think did kill I him? I have my little ideas, naturally, my suspicions, shall we say. Won't you tell me? No, mademoiselle, this is not the time. I think Ronald still believes it was my stepmother. What is your opinion of her? I hardly know her. I was at school in Paris when my father married her. When I came home, she was 
quite kind when she noticed I was there. I thought she was rather empty-headed and, well, mercenary. Hmm. Now tell me, mademoiselle, are you fond of your cousin? Of Ronald? Of course I am. I haven't seen much of him in the last two years, but when he lived in the house before my father threw him out, I always thought he was wonderful, joking all the time, thinking up mad things to do. If only he had stayed in that taxi. What do you mean? It must have given you quite a shock when you came down with the pearls and found your cousin in the hall. Oh, oh yes, coming from the study. It, it quite startled me. You want me to save him, is that it? Yes. Oh, yes, you must. Yes? Well, he's here. It's Jack Poirot. Ah, excuse me, mademoiselle. Yes, of course. Ah, my dear Jack, have you any news? Uh-huh. I, uh, well, I must be going oh, Let me get you a taxi. No, no, thank you. I'd like to and walk in the fresh air for a while. Uh, say goodbye oh. to Monsieur Poirot for me. And, Are you sure? Oh, uh, Tell him no, I am no, no, very, no. It is a little grateful. upsetting, that's all. I must rearrange my ideas a little. Thank you. Thank you, chap. What's happened? Does he know where the gold box came from? It comes from a well-known shop in Paris which specialises in such things. Oh. It was ordered by letter by a woman calling herself Lady Ackley. Oh. Naturally, there is no such person. The letter was received two days before the murder, ordering the initials and the inscription inside. It was a rush order to be called for the following day. And who called for it? A woman. A woman? Maybe a woman, short, middle-aged, and wearing pince-nez. Oh, what are we to make of that? I do not know, Hastings. I do not know. Hmm. It's twelve o'clock. We're due at Whitburn's lunch party. I'd better get a taxi. No, Hastings, I cannot possibly go. Not at this moment. My mind is in a whirl. Who is this strange woman in Pasley? I must have time to think. Oh, I know it is unforgivable, but you must make some excuse for me. Tell them I have been called away on an urgent case, whatever you think. Um, are you all right, Ross? You look quite pale. Rather close in there, wasn't it? I'm sorry your friend Poirot wasn't able to make it. I rather need to talk to him. I'll be seeing him around five, I hope. Is there anything I can tell him? No, no, I must speak to him myself. I might ring him up. He'll be back in the late afternoon. Yes, yes. I'll ring him up. Time I was saying goodbye, I think. Yes, me too. <laughs> Rather rum do, wasn't it? In what way was it a rum do? Well, mostly because of Jane Wilkinson. I know that intellectual small talk isn't exactly her forte, but she was being quite remarkably stupid. Well, what was she saying? Well, Whitburn was comparing Rubens' different versions of the Judgment of Paris, and Jane kept on going on about how superior Paris was to London and New York. Uh -huh. <laughs> it was quite embarrassing, really. Mm. It was perfectly obvious that not only had she never heard of Rubens, she'd never heard of Paris, him of Troy, either. And you say that Duke of Merton was present? <laughs> It was just as well that I was not there, mon ami. How did he react to all this? He looked quite amazed, and as if the scales had fallen from his eyes. Donald Ross looked as if he couldn't believe his ears, and Mrs. Whitburn began to talk very rapidly about the Russian ballet, and Jane Wilkinson was blissfully unaware of it all. I expect that would be Donald Ross. He said he'd ring. Ah, the actor who was at Montague Connors on the night of the murder. Yes, he wants to speak to you about something. Mm. Hello, Captain Hastings? Uh, it's Donald Ross. Has Monsieur Poirot come back? Yes, he's here. Can I have a word? Right, hold on. Here he comes. Uh, Mr. Ross? Uh, Monsieur Poirot? Yes, it is I. 
Look, I'm sorry to bother you, but there's something which seems to me a bit odd. Um, it's in connection with the death of Lord Edgware. Yes, go on. Well, it may seem nonsense to no, you. No, 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 whatever it is, tell me. Well, it was Paris that first set me off. You see... Oh, half a second, there's someone at the door. Huh. He said to answer the door, Hastings. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Mr. Ross? Are you there? Hello? 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 Nothing, Hastings. Look up Ross's address in the telephone book. We must go there at once. I am very afraid. But what could it have been that was so important? How can I know? But to tell you that he wished to speak to me, there, at the Whitburn's party with so many people all around. Why did you not bring him back with you? Make sure that no one overheard him. But he scarcely said anything. I hardly what dreamed What Ross had to say could lead directly to the identification of the murderer. A murderer who is twisting and turning like a rat fighting for his life. You mean that if he thinks Ross is a danger, he'll get rid of him? Oh, why can't this man go faster? Will we never arrive? The killer has already struck twice his things. He will not hesitate to strike again. Oh, on the fourth floor, this is it. Room 412, that's what we are looking for. Uh, oh, it's here to the right. God grant that we are in time. Oh, this is it, Poirot. The door's open. The phone's too off the hook. Leave it. Try the room through there. Right. Oh, my God. Oh. He's dead, Hastings. Stabbed at the base of the skull. In exactly the same manner as Lord Edgeware. I shall never forgive myself. If only I'd had the sense to get him away from the Whitburn's party the moment he said he wanted to see you. I do not blame yourself. How could you have suspected? We have no time to waste in regrets, no time to say if only. The poor young man who is dead had something to tell us, something that must have been very important or he would not have been killed. And since he can no longer tell us, we have got to guess. And we have only one little clue to guide us. Paris. He said that it was Paris which had set him off. Paris keeps on cropping up in this affair, but always in different connections. The gold box which contained the veronal was bought in Paris, and the name of Paris and the date in November were engraved on it. Carlotta Adams was there then. Was Ross perhaps also there? There was the woman in Pasney who collected the box from the Paris jeweller. Was she not a Ross? The Duke of Merton was in Paris when the crime was committed. Lord Edgware was going to Paris. Ah, was he killed to prevent him going to Paris? And Jane Wilkinson was babbling inanely about Paris at the Whitburn's lunch party, when in fact they were discussing Reuben's judgment of Paris. It may have been that which triggered it off. Oh? The word Paris would be sufficient, taken in conjunction with something else. But what was that something else? At what was Ross looking? Or of what had he been speaking when that word was uttered? Um, 
he was talking about Rubens. And his eyes were where? Uh, not sure. I think he was looking up towards the head of the table where Mrs. Woodbone was sitting. Who sat next to her? Um, the Duke of Merton, then Jane Wilkinson, then some fellow I didn't know. The Duke of Merton. Ah. It is possible that Ross was looking at him when the word Paris was spoken. The Duke, remember, was in Paris, or supposed to be in Paris at the time of the crime. Suppose Ross suddenly remembered something which went to show that Merton was not in Paris. Oh, come on, Poirot, that's not very likely. Ah, you consider that an absurdity? But Monsieur Le Duc had a very strong motive for the crime. And who knows? Perhaps he counted on everyone thinking that it would be absurd to suspect him. Tell me, Hastings, did Ross not say anything when the word Paris was mentioned? Did he show no emotion? I do seem to remember that he drew in his breath rather sharply. And his manner when he spoke to you afterwards, was it bewildered, confused? Th that absolutely describes it. Hmm. An idea has come to him. He thinks it preposterous, absurd. And yet he hesitates to voice it. First he will speak to me. Oh, if only he'd said a little more to me. Who was near to you when he was speaking of his desire to see me? Well, practically everybody. They were saying goodbye to Mrs. Whitburn. I didn't particularly notice. Ah, have I been wrong? All the time have I been wrong? At any rate, this is one murder that cannot be put down to Ronald Marsh. Unless we find he's broken out of Pentonville. Tis a point in his favour. But that does not concern us for the moment. No, I cannot be entirely wrong. You remember that I once posed to myself three questions. I remember, but I'm not sure now what the three questions were. I will tell you. They were, why did Lord Edgware change his mind on the subject of the divorce? What became of the letter he wrote to Jane Wilkinson, which he never received? Why did someone telephone Jane Wilkinson at the corner's party and then ring off? Yes, those were the questions. Hastings, I have had in my mind all along a certain little idea. Mm -hmm. An idea as to who the man was, the man behind it all. I believe I have the answer to two of the questions. But there is something that I still cannot see clearly. Poirot, what are you thinking about? Is it possible that I have been wrong? Have I been thinking of the wrong person? You're surely not going to look at Carlotta's letter again. You've already spent hours poring over I it. I still believe that there is something here that will lead us to the murderer. But if that letter doesn't refer to Ronald Marsh, it could be anybody. It's like looking for a needle in a hay. Hastings. Hmm? Hastings. Oh, what on earth is it? You remember that we said it was lucky that the murderer was careless, for otherwise he would have cut the page of the letter and not torn it? Yes, well, what about it? I was wrong. There is order and method throughout this crime. The page had to be torn. I have been blind. Do you not see? Um... I don't see at all. The page had to be torn. I have been blind. But now, now we shall get on. Well, who, who are you ringing? The Savoy. Well, if it's Jane Wilkinson you're after, you won't have any luck. It's far too early. Ah, hello. Can I speak to Lady Edgeworth, please? Don't you remember? She's rehearsing a new play. She'll be at the theatre. Won't be back for hours yet. Ah, I see. Yeah, then could I speak to Lady Edgeworth's maid? Hmm? Thank you. What can you possibly hope to get out of her? My logic was faultless every step of the way, and yet it led me to the wrong person. And you're absolutely certain you're on the right track now? Ah, Ellis, um, this is Monsieur Poirot. Oh, you remember me, do you not? Now, 
something of great importance has arisen. I would like you to come and see me straight away. I will give you the address. Oh, yes, sir. There's a lot of jealousy in the theatre. So you have a good idea of who your mistress's enemies are likely to be? Women, mostly. Quite a few have tried to do her a spiteful turn. She's too good-looking. And she always gets what she wants. Uh, how about the men in her life? Oh, <laughs> she can do what she likes with the gentlemen, sir. Even so, I can imagine that certain men... Uh, do you know Brian Martin, the film actor? Oh, yes, sir. Very well indeed. I believe I am not mistaken in saying that a little less than a year ago, Brian Martin was very deeply in love with your mistress. Head over here, sir. Still is, if you ask me. He believed at the time that she would marry him? Yes, sir. He did. Did she ever seriously consider marrying him? She thought of it, sir. If she could get her freedom from his lordship, but then... But then the Duke of Merton appeared on the scene. Yes, sir. Love at first sight, you might say. And, of course, her ladyship is very keen on position. And so, goodbye to Brian Martin's chances. Did he take it badly? Badly? He went completely to pieces. He was drinking a lot, too. And the scenes he made. He threatened her with a revolver once. It frightened me, it did. But, presumably, he calmed down in the end? It seems so. But he still hung about, and I didn't like the look in his eye. Hmm. I've warned her ladyship about it, but she only laughs. She's one who enjoys feeling her power, if you know what I mean. Yes, I think I know what you mean. We've not seen much of him lately. I hope that's a good sign. Perhaps. You don't think she's in danger, sir? Yes, I think she is in great danger. But she has brought it on herself. Now, there is something I would like you to do for me. Yes, sir. Could you take a close look at this photograph? I'm sorry it is such a small one. Oh, it is, isn't it, sir? Oh, just a minute. <clears throat> oh, that's better. Huh. I've certainly seen the face somewhere, but I can't put a name to it. No. Sorry. Oh, well, don't worry, Miss Ellis. You have been very helpful. If there's nothing more, I'd better be off. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. Oh, but you are limping. Oh, it's nothing, sir. My feet are a little painful. Ah, the corns? Yes, sir. I understand. I am a sufferer myself. Oh. Goodbye, Mr. Poirot. I'll see you out. Goodbye. Well, um, what was all that about? And why did you show her the picture of Ronald Marsh? Because I hoped she might have difficulty in seeing it. You what? Did you not observe Hastings? She had to take her pince out of her bag. Anyway, that is enough for today. Tomorrow morning we will ring up the good Jap and ask him to come round. And we will also ask Brian Martin to come here. And we will also invite Jenny Driver, since his alibi depends entirely upon her. But surely you can't suspect him of killing Lord Edgware? To kill the husband of the woman you love so that she can marry your rival? <laughs> that may not have been 
what he had in mind. It was a bit short notice, but I managed to move a few appointments round. Uh, what exactly is it all about? A little moment. We will wait until the others arrive. The others? But I, I thought Hastings said that you particularly wanted to talk to me. Miss Driver. Jenny? Brian, I didn't expect to find you here. You didn't tell me. I didn't have much of a chance. Monsieur Poirot, is this some sort of game or what? Uh, be patient. Inspector Jap will be here at any moment. Inspector Jap? What, what is all this? Yes, I have asked him to come here informally as a friend. <sighs> uh, here's Inspector Jap. <laughs> what is all this about, then? You've got some wonderful new theory, I suppose. No, 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 nothing wonderful, just a simple story. Now, I want to take you through the case with me from the beginning. If it's going to be longer than an hour, I'd better inform... It will not station. take half that time. And I am sure you would be interested to know who it was that killed Lord Edgware, who it was that killed Carlotta Adams, and who it was that killed Donald Ross. As to the first two, I'm pretty certain, but I'd like to know about the last. Listen to me and you shall know everything. I will begin with the evening at the cabaret when Jane Wilkinson first met Carlotta Adams. As Miss Wilkinson was leaving, she said, somewhat unwisely, I thought, that she might have to go round in a taxi and kill Lord Edgware herself. Those words were heard by Brian Martin. Not only by me. Carlotta Adams heard her say it, so did Ronald Marsh. And then, later... Mr. Martin called on me for the express purpose of driving those words home. That's not true. The reason I came was to, to ask... to tell me some cock-and-bull story about being shadowed by a man with a gold tooth. <laughs> oh. And having told it, you set about poisoning my mind about Lady Edgware. You were preparing the ground for the moment when she murdered her husband. I... Don't know what you're talking about. You told me that Edgware would never give her a divorce, but later that same morning I go to see Lord Edgware, and he tells me that he agreed to a divorce long ago, and he had written to his wife to that effect. But Lady Edgware says she never received that letter. So, I give a little thought as to who might have had a motive for ensuring that she did not get it. I can't see where any of this is leading. Can you not? Lord Edgware says that his wife told him she would marry an actor. I believe that you were that actor. But by the time Lord Edgware's letter agreeing to the divorce arrives, it is someone else she wants to marry, not you. <sighs> there would be a good reason for you suppressing that letter. This is it's quite ridiculous. Do you, do you really believe... I, I believe that in your jealousy... You wish to do Lady Edgware as much harm as possible. And what greater harm could you do to her than to have her accused and perhaps hanged for murder? Good Lord. I thought to myself, Brian Martin was also a friend of Carlotta Adams. Was he the one who suggested to her the hoax? The impersonation of Lady Edgware. But surely, oh, surely. yes, yes. Lucy Adams sent you a copy of her sister's letter, and it seemed to point to Ronald Marsh. But when I saw the original letter, I realized that a sheet of it was missing. The he in the letter 
who was offering that $10,000 might refer to another person. I, I know nothing of any of this. What $10,000? And there was another piece of evidence. Ronald Marsh said that when he was waiting outside Lord Edgware's on that fatal night, he thought he saw Brian Martin go in. But that's impossible. And I wondered about Mr. Martin's little alibi, vouched for by only one person. What about it? And on that same day, when I noticed you lunching with Mr. Martin, you took the trouble to come over and try to make me believe that your friend Miss Adams was specially interested in Ronald Marsh, not, as I was sure was the case, Brian Martin. I said what I said in good faith. And then Ronald Marsh is arrested. Your plan to incriminate Lady Edgware has failed. But at least you believe yourself to be in the clear. And then comes the bombshell. At a lunch party given by the Whitburns, you, Mr. Martin, overhear Donald Ross say something to Hastings that seems to show you are not so safe after all. It isn't true. I didn't overhear anything. I didn't do anything. No. That is quite true. Oh. And I hope you have now been sufficiently punished for coming to me, Hercule Poirot, with a cock-and-bull story. Oh, but do you mean to say that you are making the whole thing up? Oh, no, mademoiselle. For a long time, Mr. Martin seemed to fit my conception of the murderer. And all this business of Brian going into Lord Edgware's house that night? It was the butler. I had already remarked on his resemblance to Brian Martin. Another man with the head of a Greek god. Look here, Poirot, this is all very well, but I don't see where it's supposed to be leading. To the murderer of Lord Edgware. Let me show you what made me change my mind. Carlotta Adams' last letter to her sister. You see? The sheet is torn. But it is not torn out of carelessness. The page begins with he. But suppose that before the H, there was an S. You're suggesting that the killer might have been a woman? A certain she. Was it Geraldine Marsh? She hated her father. She had told me so. Suppose when she went into the house that night she had deliberately stabbed her father and then coldly proceeded upstairs to fetch the pearls. When she sent for me, she was exceedingly agitated as to what Lord Edgware might have said to me on the day of his death. But are you really suggesting that it was her? Then there was Jenny Driver. What? The gold box found in Miss Adams' bag had the initial D on it. Oh, that's not much to go on. There is one other thing. You have the brains and the nerve to commit such a crime. Really, I Monsieur doubt Poirot. if anyone else had. For goodness sake, Poirot, I've had enough of this. Stop stringing us along. Very well. Let me tell you the real story of what happened on the night of the murder. And not before time. Carlotta Adams leaves her flat at seven o'clock and goes to the Piccadilly Hotel where she has taken a room as Mrs. Van Dusen. Oh. She says she is going by the night boat train to Liverpool and that her baggage has gone on ahead. 
At 8.30, Lady Edgware arrives and is shown up to her room. There, they change clothes. Dressed in a fair wig, a white taffeta dress and an ermine wrap, Carlotta Adams, and not Jane Wilkinson, goes to the corners party in Chiswick. Oh, that's not possible to carry it off all that time. Perfectly possible, I assure you, Hastings. The dinner table is lit with candles, the lamps are dim, and remember, no one there knows Jane Wilkinson very well. Before going to Regent Gate, Lady Edgware rings up Chiswick and asks to speak to Lady Edgware. This has been arranged between them. If all has gone well, and Carlotta has not been recognised, she is to answer simply, That's right. Having heard these words, Lady Edgware goes ahead. She arrives at Regent Gate, announces herself as Lady Edgware, and goes into the study. She commits the first murder. Just as she said she would. She has now to put in time until Carlotta Adams returns from Chiswick. She goes to the Lion's Corner house and prepares for the second murder. She puts the small box she has ordered from Paris in Carlotta Adams' bag, which, of course, she is carrying. And, and she finds Carlotta Adams' letter unposted? Bravo, Hastings. She scents danger. She opens it. Perhaps her first impulse is to destroy it altogether, but then she sees that by removing a page and making the she appear to be a he, it can be made to incriminate Ronald Marsh. She returns to her room in the Savoy. The maid has been told to go to bed, a perfectly usual proceeding. Carlotta Adams comes to the Savoy. They change clothes again, and then I fancy Lady Edgware suggests a little drink to celebrate. In that drink is the Veronal. Carlotta Adams goes home. She's sleepy. She tries to ring up her friend. Possibly you, Mr. Martin, possibly Ronald Marsh. You both have Victoria telephone numbers, but she gives up. She's too tired. The Veronal is beginning to work. She goes to bed. And she never wakes again. Oh, how hideously calculated. Cold-blooded. Is it not? Now for the third crime. At a luncheon party given by the Whitburns, Lady Edgware makes a foolish gaffe. Hearing someone speak of the judgment of Paris, she takes Paris to be the only Paris she knows, the Paris of fashion and frills. But opposite her is sitting Donald Ross, who had been at the corner's dinner in Chiswick on the night of the murder, and who had heard the Lady Edgware of that night discussing Homer and Greek civilization. Carlotta Adams was an intelligent, well-read girl. Ross cannot understand, and suddenly it comes to him. This is not the same woman. He speaks to Hastings, but Lady Edgware overhears him. She goes to Ross's apartment. He is surprised to see her, but it does not occur to him to be on his guard. She pours out some story to him. Perhaps she flings her arms on his neck, and then, swift and sure, she strikes. As before, he 
too is silenced. You mean all the time she really did do it? Just so. But why, if Edgeware was willing to give her a divorce? Because the Duke of Merton is a pillar of the Anglo-Catholics. He would not dream of marrying a woman whose husband was alive. He is a man of fanatical principles. As a widow, she was almost certain to get him to marry her. Doubtless she had already tentatively suggested divorce and seen his horrified reaction. But why did she get you to approach Lord Edgware? To pull the wool over my eyes. To make me believe that there was no motive for the murder. She dared to make me, Hercule Poirot, her cat's paw. <laughs> and she succeeded. Ah, she's certainly quite an actress. Her surprise on hearing about Edgeworth's letter seemed perfectly genuine. Do you think she felt any remorse for what she'd done? I am certain she did not. I told you what she was like. I knew she was going to kill him. And I was afraid that somehow she'd get away with it. And now she's going to be hanged. Brian... And the gold box? She sent her maid Alice to collect it from Paris. Naturally, Alice just called for a parcel which she paid for. She had no idea what was inside. And the mysterious D? Oh, what you call the red herring. <laughs> I regret the time I spent exerting my little grey cells over it. You got there in the end. You always do. Oh, yes. And I suspect it was Ellis who unconsciously supplied the murder weapon. What was it? A little knife she used for cutting her corns. Oh. But I, I don't understand why you had to bring me here. Why, why frighten me nearly to death? To punish you for being impertinent. How dare you try to play tricks on Hercule Poirot? <laughs> it serves you right, Brian. After you've been married to me for a few months, you'll start to get rid of idiotic notions like oh, that. My congratulations, mademoiselle. <laughs> I said that you had sufficient nerve for anything, but I did not include marriage to Brian Martin. You know, Monsieur Poirot, I'm so glad it wasn't Ronald Marsh, and I am glad that Carlotta's death won't go unpunished. She wants to see you. I feared that she might. The prison governor just rang. Will you go? I have no choice, mon ami. I must say I wouldn't fancy a last meeting in the condemned cell with a triple murderess whom I brought to justice. <laughs> Make sure she isn't cutting her corns. Well, here I am. What can I do for you? I've heard that you sometimes publish reports of your cases. I thought that an interview with a murderess might round things off nicely. It would certainly be a novelty. I should like to be remembered, Monsieur Poirot. I am sure you will have your wish, Lady Edwell. If only Merton hadn't had that stupid thing about divorce. It left me no choice but to get rid of my husband. But I didn't know how to set about it. And then I saw Carlotta Adams do her impersonation of me, and I began to see a way. With her help, I could get an alibi. But at the same time, I thought I would tell everyone that I was going to have to kill my husband. I've always noticed that if you speak the truth in a sufficiently silly way, nobody will actually believe you. It's a good thing to appear stupider than you are, but I am not stupid, Monsieur Poirot. No, you are not stupid. Of course, I realized Carlotta Adams would have to be got rid of afterwards. It was a pity, but that impersonation of me was really rather cheeky. She never asked my permission, you know. 
The one thing I was really pleased about was seeing how I could make use of that letter of hers simply by tearing the page. I'm more proud of that than anything. Everyone says I haven't got brains, but it needed real brains to do that. Oh, yes, it did. And I was fooled at first. I felt so happy. My luck was holding it. Everything was going to go right. Merton wanted to marry me as soon as possible and hadn't an inkling of what I'd done. But then there was that stupid business at the Whitburn's party. Yes, that was unfortunate. I still don't understand what it was all about. But I did realise that Ross had somehow seen through the whole thing. He had to be got rid of. And I didn't have time to think about concocting an alibi. But when it was done, I truly believed I'd got away with it. I hadn't reckoned that you would somehow or other piece the whole thing together. It was just uncanny the way you seemed to know everything that I'd done. And to think, if it hadn't been for me, you'd never have been involved in the case at all. I thought I could pull the wool over your eyes. You don't look particularly clever. Uh, <clears throat> they all say I'm frightfully brave. You know, there's just one thing I regret. What is that, Lydia Twell? That they don't hang you in public anymore. I think I would have enjoyed that. Tell me, Monsieur Poirot, do you think they'll put me in Madame Tussauds? Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening.